What's up, folks? It's Jimmy Smith from Unlocking the Cage, and on today's podcast, you'll hear my reaction to Simone Biles' withdrawal from the Olympics. Also, I'll interview Bellator President Scott Coker at a Pitbull versus McKee this weekend. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know something about this story. I'm looking at a C, uh, NBC News. We're human, too. Simone Biles highlights importance of mental health in Olympics withdrawal. Pulled out of the Olympics, right? Uh, in the middle of the team event, if I'm getting it correctly. Remember, I don't watch a lot of gymnastics, but I think that's when she dropped out of it. Uh, Kelly, you were watching at the time? Was it the team event she dropped out of? Yeah. Yes, it was right. a team event. It wasn't in the middle, though. It was after the first rotation. After the first rotation, So a fourth right. of the way through. Right, okay. So, uh, before I get into my thoughts about it, here is Michael Bisping's thoughts on it. Uh, I'm looking right now at Bloody Elbow. Bisping criticizes weak quitter Simone Biles. Ronda Ra- Rousey blasts those judging the Olympic champ. So, uh, here's the Twitter itself. Uh, Michael Bisping. Opinion on Simone Biles withdrawing from the Olympics. Uh, somebody else had put, I hope she overcomes her mental health struggles. Not much more to say beyond that. Hmm. Disagree. Quitters never win. Here's what he had to say. I know nothing of gymnastics. I, I do know, however, that with sports at any level, level, there comes a lot of pressure throwing in the towel. She wasn't have, uh, as she wasn't having a perfect performance is a good message to send to young aspiring athletes. Other people would have killed for that spot. Mental health issues need to be respected. That said, folding to pressure in a sports environment, though, is not a mental health issue unless I'm missing some details. If so, I apologize. From what I've read, I don't think I am. She's incredible. What she has achieved is insane. I'm not hating. I'm trying to understand why she pulled out. If it's because she wasn't having a good day, that's pretty weak. Not the lesson we teach our children. Finish the race. Try your best. Right? Um... And he's talking to people who are saying that, you know, you don't know the details and uh, it's it's, you know, somebody else put she went around calling herself the goat. She got goat embroidered on her uniform. She even went on live television claiming nobody can beat her. She broke under pressure and quit on her team, blaming it on mental health. That's somebody sent to Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping said this tweet below sums up what it looks like. Looks like being the key words. I asked if I'm missing any details, some sensitive you know what's on here. F it. Give everyone a gold medal. So that's how Michael Bisping felt about it. What is weird to me, and once again, I'm speaking partly from a place of experience. I've been in a lot of high-pressure situations. And I'm partly speaking from a place of ignorance. I've never been a gymnast. I've never been to the Olympics. Okay? The timing is a little strange. And what do I mean by that? Um... There's a story I'm about to tell here that is a true story, and it's kind of going all around the world, but here's here's one of the things this makes me think of. Uh, my dad was a skydiver. Uh, he was a skydiver in the state of Washington, and he, his friend, a guy whose nickname was Topper, I don't know his real name, I just know him as Topper, started with my dad skydiving. And Topper would get really nervous skydiving. He would have all this anxiety and it really made him nervous. He'd deal with you know, what we would call today mental health issues whenever he would skydive. To the point that he almost killed my dad one time, uh, opening up a parachute underneath my dad during freefall. Uh, terminal velocity for a human being in a normal atmosphere is about 120 miles an hour. So if you hit someone's parachute as it's opening at 120 miles an hour, you will splat like a bug on a windshield. 
And this guy panicked and pulled too early, and the shoot came up at my dad. He was able to get out of the way, and he survived. He had to veer out of the way, and it just missed me. And so this is a guy who had mental health issues around skydiving, but continued doing it. And my dad said, we all told him, like, you don't have to do this. Like, you need to stop. This Clearly, this is, is causing too much of an issue for you. So Topper had a dive, and Topper panicked, and Topper blacked out, and Topper died. Topper hit the ground at 120 miles an hour. And my dad was telling me about Topper and what happened to Topper. And I said, how did you feel about that? I said, how did you feel about that? Because they were good friends. One of the few pictures I have of my father as a young man, he's with Topper. And I said, how did you feel about this and Topper's death? And he sat down with me. I was a little kid, and he sat down, and he goes, Topper packed his gear. Topper got in his car. Topper drove to the airfield. Topper hung out with the guys that I knew. Topper walked to the plane. He got on the plane. He flew up to 5,000, 10,000 feet, whatever it was, and he stood at the door of that plane. Any time up to there, he could have gone back down to the ground. Nobody pushed Topper out of that plane. Nobody. Any time before that, before he jumped, he could have stopped himself and he'd still be alive. That's on Topper. And I've always thought about what I call Topper's mistake is once you jump, once you're committed, it's he goes, then you have to manage your emotions. That's what my dad put it. He goes, you know, Topper lost control of his emotions. He panicked and freaked out. He goes, you know, once you jump, that that's not the time to decide it's too scary. That's not the time to have an emotional response. Now, you're going to have an emotional response. You've got to control it. If you don't feel you can control it, stay on the ground. And the analogy doesn't work exactly because, once again, Topper's dead. But it's also when you decide this is too much for me, that I always find interesting. That I always find fascinating. And Simone Biles, if she hadn't gone to this Olympic Games, she's still considered one of the greatest Olympic gymnasts of all time. She's amazing. She didn't have to do it. She didn't have to go to the trials. She didn't have to fly to Tokyo. She didn't have to start the competition. And so that's what I wonder about. Having never dealt with something like this in the Olympic Games, at what point did she did did this start becoming an issue? And at what point when you talk about, you know, Michael Bisping the on quote unquote quitting and all that stuff, if she had said, I'm not doing the trials this year, I don't need this in my life. I don't need this pressure. I don't want it. I'm out. Andrew Luck, quit, you know, being a cult. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. He didn't walk out in the middle of a game. He didn't walk out in the middle of the Super Bowl. So that the only criticism I have, and if I have any right to criticize an Olympic athlete, I do somewhat as an athlete, is, you know, midway through. As you said, Kelly, a quarter of the way through, she's like, I'm not doing this. And I, I don't know what was in her head. I have no idea. I only know what she's telling me. Apparently it was a lot. But... Have you ever seen an? I don't know. Also, too, I'm speaking from a from a position of ignorance about the Olympics and about, you know, the Olympics and about gymnastics. I'm not a huge gymnastics fan. KOB, did you ever see um, Kendall Cross versus um, Terry Brands Olympic Trials 1996? Yes, I did. All right, every wrestling dork knows that match. Am I wrong? Correct. 
what's so amazing about it, if you know wrestling at all and you haven't seen this, do yourself a favor, get online and watch it. Terry Brands, Kendall Cross, Olympic Trials, 1996. Extremely famous match. Very, uh, Terry Brands was supposed to win. He was a world champion. Kendall Cross hadn't competed in a long time internationally. Was an Olympian in 92, but wasn't expected to, to, to win this match. An incredible match. Kendall Cross wins. KOB, how does Terry Brands react? Not I know you're well. smiling because you remember. Not well. <laughs> Sobbed like a child. Refused to, take, to shake Kendall Cross's hand. Crawls to his coach, Dan Gable, on his hands and knees, sobbing like a baby. Ran out of the auditorium. Ran out of the auditorium. I don't know how the gymnastics Olympic trials work. I have no idea. All right, so I'm speaking essentially from a place of ignorance. But the first thing I thought was what Michael Bisping thought, which is like, imagine Kendall Cross gets on the mat and goes, oh, no, I'm having a mental no, I, I can't wrestle. Terry Brands literally would have killed him. I really honestly believe that. Terry Brands would have killed him. I would slit my throat for that shot. And Simone Biles blew away the field, right, to, 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 to win the gymnastics trials. I know about that, but I don't know exactly how it works. That was somebody's spot that she took. She earned. I'm not saying took. She earned. So that was another thing that occurred to me is, wow, that could have been somebody else. If you didn't want to do it, it's fine. But should have thought of that, like, before the trials or after the trials. And they, they would have adjusted the team. Now, I don't know what she went through at that moment that made that happen. If it was just... I'm having a bad performance. I, I agree. That's not a reason to stop. If she's having a, a mental health issue that I don't know about, I, I get it. But that's what occurred to me is the timing of it. You know, I. she went through the trial. She went through this. She flew to Tokyo. At that point, to me, in my way of thinking, that's jumping out of the plane. Didn't have to fly to Tokyo. Didn't have to go to the trials. Once you won the trials, you didn't have to go on the team. Once you fly to the actual event... And they can't make an adjustment for you because it's the middle. I'm assuming, and once again, speaking from a place of ignorance, if she had said before the team competition, I'm not feeling good, I can't do this, would, could, do they have alternates? They do in wrestling. Do you have any idea, Kelly? No. So what yeah. it is is they, they have to go through a whole qualification process, and the same four girls that were in the qualifications are in the team final. So you, you can't, can't I'm not feeling it. Throwing, yeah. I don't think you can jump in because – you have four girls and three girls compete on each event. So all of the events okay. that Simone was supposed to compete on, which was all of them, the last three, whoever wasn't competing was now competing. Like that's right. who your extra girl is because you have four girls, but only three compete on each event. Okay. See, that's what, that's what gets me. It's not Simone Biles' choice. It's her choice whether or not she wants to compete, and that's fine. Um, it's competing at a time before they could – okay, if she had said this once again after the trials, I'm not doing it, I don't want to – or before they flew to Tokyo, or even after they flew to Tokyo and they could throw somebody else in there, that would all make sense to me. But that's what's hard to, to fathom, is the emotions, and as an athlete, and as someone who competed not at this level, but who competed at all, the, the idea that, that I've warmed up fighters in the back who started freaking out, and I went, I'm, what I told them was, freaking out yesterday. You are walking into a cage with someone who wants to hurt you in two and a half minutes. Freaking out today. Freaking out with the weigh-ins. You don't want to do it. Promoter's not happy, but they can't do anything about it. And they'll, they'll put somebody else in here. Can't do that now. And every athlete who's ever made that walk, who's ever waited for a tournament on deck and is freaking out, I always say the same thing. Backing out was yesterday. 
And if you had backed out yesterday, I wouldn't blame you. Okay, fine. I wouldn't be here. But we all have that line, and where that line is, I think, defines how you see this act. It's defined how you see which is her choice, but it defines how you see the choice. Is when you consider, to my Topper analogy, when jumping out of the plane was. When Topper, once he jumped out of the plane, Topper had no choice but to manage, manage his emotions. He had no choice at that point. He jumped out of a plane, can't crawl back to the plane. And his inability to manage his emotions got him killed. So what do you consider the point of no return here? At what point did she know? I, I, the, the, the weird thing to me is I can't, I, I don't believe, or I, find, I'm not, I don't know what's in her head or her soul. Getting through the trials, if that's causing you anxiety, if the thought of going to the Olympics is, you know, can I do this? Can I handle all this pressure? You know, once you get on to Tokyo and you're there and you're part of the team and the, the show starts, you know, that's, I, that's what I find hard to do. That I find hard to understand. And the problem is, when you look at athletes, and Ron Rouse's point of, hey, you're sitting there, you're a keyboard warrior, you don't have any right to criticize her. Do I have a right to be inspired by Simone Biles? Do I have a right to be inspired by Simone Biles and her performance? Do I have a right to be enthusiastic and jump up and wave the flag and do all the stuff you do in the Olympics? Do I have a right to do all that stuff? KOB, do I have a right to do that? Oh, a right? I don't know if I understand yeah. what kind of what you're asking. What I'm asking is, if I can participate in the victory and feel inspired, can I be disappointed too? Yeah. Right. Like, I'm disapp- I'm not mad at Simone Biles. I have no personal... Pr- like, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. You know, I'm not, I'm not writing hateful tweets or anything like that. But I'm disappointed. You can't ask us as a country and as to, to, to care when they win and get behind them and, 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 and be a part of the experience and not be disappointed by something like this. You can't have it both ways. What gives you the right to criticize or feel the way you feel? I'm not sitting here criticizing Simone Biles. I don't know what she was thinking. I don't know. I'm trying to understand what she was thinking. But I have a right to be disappointed. I do. I would have been happy if she had done great and won a gold medal. I would have, been thr- I would have bought the Wheaties box. But I have a right to be disappointed too. You can't have it both ways. Can't have we don't all right, then we then we shouldn't be happy when she wins, because it's none of our business. It is our business. So when she drops out, we have a right to be disappointed. So that I just oh, you have no right to criticize and win. So there are six people that have a right to feel any particular way about Simone Biles. You don't have the right to write her a racist, horrible, venomous tweet, because you're an a-hole. You don't have the right to you have a right to be disappointed. All I can say is I'm disappointed. I'm not, you know, up arms about it. I'm not assassinating her character anywhere. But I'm disappointed. You know? So, does mental health deserve to be an issue? Yeah, but watching people rise above the anxiety you or I would feel. Or that, like, dude, most of us would fall apart. You know, standing on a diving board at the Olympics or whatever, like sitting in a pool ready to race seven other people with a million cameras on us. We call all of us out. But that's what makes them Olympians. Right? So we go, oh, you couldn't do it? Yeah, I couldn't. That's why I love watching it. That's why watching somebody squat an amount of weight that I couldn't move if you gave me a truck is impressive. 
watching Michael Jordan make that clutch shot that I could never make in a million years. That's why we effing watch sports. To watch somebody deal with something we couldn't deal with is part of what makes us fans. So I'm not sitting here telling you I could do what Simone Simone Biles did. But watching her overcome that is part of what I love watching. And a lot of it's mental. Man, I'd be freaking out, you know, getting into the ring, taking on this fighter or whatever it is, whatever sport we like. Part of it is watching somebody overcome that mental hurdle. And her choosing not to do that is disappointing to a lot of people. Did she have the right to? Sure. You know, but we also as a family have the right to be disappointed, you know, and I'm not a huge fan. It's not the most upsetting thing in the world to me, but I sympathize with those people who do question and are disappointed. I don't sympathize with people who are going after her personally. I don't do that, you know, but to Ronda Rousey's point of like, you don't know what people go through. It's like, yeah, that's the point, but we have a right to not disrespectfully be disappointed, not mad at anybody. Not mad at Simone Biles. I would never send an angry treat. I would never. I'm not mad at Simone Biles. Disappointed. You know that's as that's as strong as my emotion gets. I am disappointed. And how much we are allowed to expect from athletes is a question that I think is going to dog us for the next decade. Sirius XM presents an exclusive podcast. Comic-Con begins. Comics, science fiction, monster movies, Star Trek, fantasy, Star Wars. Learn how a group of high school comic book fans children were going to the back of a dirty bookstore started what became the biggest annual pop culture event in the world. Geeks are running Hollywood now. Comic-Con changed my life. Comic-Con begins. A six-part series. All episodes available now on the SXM app. Download today. Free for most subscribers. Have a very special guest right now that I cannot wait to talk to you about this weekend and ask him about what I consider, and I was around for a lot of them, the biggest fight in Bellator history, I believe, is this weekend. And that's Scott Coker, Bellator MMA president. How you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How do you feel about that statement I just made that I believe this weekend is the most important fight in Bellator history? That's what I see it as. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I, I feel good about it because, you know, uh, and, you know, you've, you've been around a long time and you're with us. And we, when we signed A.J. McKee. Right. And here's here's a kid that took five, six years to develop and get to the point where he could fight uh, a fighter, a killer like Pitbull. So keep in mind, Pitbull was a champion when we signed A.J. McKee back in uh, in 2014. So Pitbull's on a, been, on, been on a long run. Uh, but it just proved like when I came in, you know, I just said, look, we got to build from the ground up. We can't just yeah. buy free agents. We have to build. And, you know, we signed the Picos of the world. We signed the AJ McKees of the world. We signed Tyrell Forge and the Romero Cottons of the world. I mean, we we're going after some of the top talent of these young guys and trying to build the next group. And, and this is the first one that's really got to the level where they could actually, you know, go in there and do it. So let's see what happens on Saturday night. It's going to be an amazing fight. It was weird, man. You know, because obviously, you know, we both did. You know, knew uh, AJ's dad, Antonio. Like Antonio and I fought at the same time. We came up together. Um, went to the same high school. All this stuff. It's it's one of those things where 
AJ, when he started out, he was knocking guys out in flashy fashion. That's a lot of, you know, great free agents, a lot of, like, uh, talented up-and-comers do, right? He was just knocking everybody out. It was flashy. It was great. But what was so interesting to me, Scott, and I wonder if you agree, is as the competition got better, he looked the same. And that is extremely rare. Usually, there's always that hitch, right? Like, somebody knocks everybody out. You step up the competition level. They start winning decisions. They start, you know, they're taking on better guys. AJ's flattening guys the same way he did when he first started. So as the competition's gotten stiffer, he's had the same kind of performances. How rare is that in this business? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes fighters, once they kind of get, like, you know, a certain amount of experience, it kind of goes to, like, a, a safety mode and fighting, you know, uh, as they need, let's say. But right. this kid, man, he, he is on a mission, and he's on a mission to prove himself. And, uh, you know, he's still got that fire and that burning desire. And, you know, when, when, I, when I discovered, like I say not discovered, but when I met AJ, uh, he was fighting in an amateur show in Orange County for his father and Rampage Jackson. And he had won the main event uh, as an amateur. I think he was 17 years old at the time. And I got to sit down with him. And, and, and I said, you know, this kid has some swagger. He's a lot of confidence. He's extreme, you know, he's a good-looking kid. He's marketable. He can speak. I go, this guy is somebody that we want to, be in business with and that's why we went and signed him and that swagger and that confidence and that 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 x factor that you know comes around once in a great while i believe he has that how did you feel i'm talking of course to scott coker bellator mma president um obviously he came in i was i was already there i was already doing commentary i was looking at the guy and going man this guy's really talented what was the philosophy behind the scenes about bringing him up because when i talk about uh, bringing a fighter up, and he made his pro debut in Bellator. He didn't have any other fights. So the, the, the idea about bringing him up, what was the philosophy? What was the thought? Did anybody push to, like, oh, he needs better talent earlier? What, what was the behind-the-scenes thought about the way to bring up A.J. McKee, the way to develop A.J. McKee? What were the thoughts behind that? You know, I'll tell you, there's a certain formula that we use, and basically we evaluate the talent and then figure out, okay, you know, this kid has decent striking skills or does he have great striking skills or is it amazing striking skills, you know, or is this jujitsu off the hook? You know, is it coming from USA wrestling? What exactly are the strengths of this kid? And really there, there wasn't any weaknesses in his game, even back then. I mean, it was just experience. And so to me, he just had to fight equal quality opponents, uh, like it's all records, let's say, you know, so fighting guys that had two or three fights or four fights or five fights, and he just started, you know, doing his thing with him. And then when he uh, when he got, you know, uh, more experience and got into the tournament, and we had the 16-man tournament that this is the finals of. I mean, you know, we felt at that point he could fight anybody. And that was a couple of years ago. So, you know, we, we you know, we do have a certain formula that we use. And basically it's evaluation of where where you go. Like, for instance, like when, when in Strikeforce, when we had Daniel Cormier, right? Yeah. I said, okay, he's a great wrestler, right? But doesn't have much striking now probably is going to, you know, be a date in danger of getting submitted. So we, we started saying, you know, maybe we should have him fight some wrestlers in the beginning, just so he can start feeling confident. Right. right. And, uh, but with, with, with AJ, there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't a hole in his game that we felt that, you know, we should, you know, give him this opponent or that opponent. Basically we just put him in there with, you know, with, with anybody that had an equal, uh, level of, of fights and and he shined but in the past whether it was you know Rockhold or whether it was Josh Thompson or you know or you know like the, like I said DC or, or even T-Wood uh, or you know some of the guys that we have you know 
up, upcoming now, it's it's the same formula. It's like you know, hey, give them a couple fights, and then we'll go test these kids. And that's that's how that's how we do it. I often talk about you know people ask me like, oh, you know, uh, the UFC should put on this tournament. Or the UFC should have this Grand Prix, and I go, the UFC doesn't do that. And the reason the UFC doesn't is Dana White cannot handle, in my opinion, taking his hands off the wheel enough, right? It's like when you have a tournament, as much as you might want to set it up, all right, this guy's on one side, this guy's on the other. If they win, they win. If they lose, they lose. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain anxiety as promoter that, that has to come with that, that has to. I'm, I, I know you can see there is. There's got to be some anxiety of taking like eight or 16 guys and going, okay. It's it's on you guys. What's the anxiety level of setting up a big Grand Prix? Because this was the main event that should have happened, that was everybody was hoping for, but they got to win. How kind of nerve-wracking is that going through that process? You can't say it isn't yeah. at all, Scott. It, no, it's no, got to it, be a little bit, yeah. Jimmy, let me tell you. When we, <laughs> when we, we did the drawing, right? Right, and, right. And these guys did their own drawing. It was kind of like we had 16 guys and – Okay, everybody just kind of figure it out. And then we gave Pitbull like the, the champion's last pick and he could move things around and try to make a, like a fun element into it. But honestly, I was sitting there going, man, I sure hope AJ fights Pitbull at the end of this tournament. Yeah, right? <laughs> like everybody else, right? Yeah. So, you know, there is a certain anxiety because that's the fight that you know people want to see. And that's a fight that you want to, that I want to see. And I know that our staff and fans, you know, they all want to see this fight. But, you know, the, the only thing I would say that kind of makes you feel okay about it is, you know, if the fights are great, which we've had so many great fights in this tournament, then you, yeah. you feel good about it. And then, you know what, at the end of the day, you know, if, if they didn't get here at this time and they weren't fighting each other, then maybe after the tournament's over, that'd be the first fight we'd put together, you know, uh, after, the, after the tournament finished. But luckily, we got the fight that the fans want to see. It's a, it's a big fight, and it's... It's something that, you know, I, I'm just going to sit back and eat my popcorn and, and watch this one, man. It's going to be unbelievable. Now, if there's a foil for A.J. McKee, I'm speaking, of course, to Scott Coker, president of Bellator MMA, my former boss. Um, here's the deal is when I look at not just stylistically, but personality-wise, culturally, if there's a foil for A.J. McKee, it's got to be Patricio Pitbull because you talk about the flash, you talk about the talk, you talk – Pitbull is meat and potatoes, beat the living crap out of you. His style is basic. <laughs> His jujitsu is a pressure style. It's an old school game. He is strong as a fire hydrant. And he walks around with a chip on his shoulder. Like, everybody thinks they can beat me, but they can't. And so almost personality-wise and stylistically, and build, right? He's about five foot nothing and strong as an ox. AJ McKee is long and lanky and, and, and style and flash and Pitbull's not. That's got to be a big appeal to this fight to you as well. Is almost They're almost made to fight one another, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, Pitbull, as you know, is dangerous. He's got power in both hands. I, to me, the turning point was not the fights that he had with Strauss that were unbelievable. And right. to me, those were like the Hagler-Hearns moments sometimes in those fights. But it was the fight against Daniel Weichel in St. Louis. When Pitbull, I thought he was done. He was I done. Believe he was I done. Yeah. done. You, you're calling the show. He's yeah. out. He was out. And then, boom, boom, I'll go the lights, right? That's just that's just who he is. And and I'm telling you, man, he could be, you know, down. He could be down and out, and he could be on the ropes just like he was. But, man, if he hits you, it's cancel Christmas, buddy, because it's over. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. When you talk about the Daniel Strauss fight, that was – and I had known Pitbull before that. I call a lot of Pitbull's fights. 
he was getting handled in that fight, right, in the first rematch. Because he'd beaten him before, then they had a rematch for the title. And I remember looking at him between rounds and thinking he's got to know that tonight Strauss is better. And every round, he looked the same. Every round, he looked like, I'm going to get up and win. And he finally did. But that, you know, you've seen it a million times, Scott, where, like, you look in a guy's eyes and, like, oh, they're not in the fight anymore. They're going, okay, next fight's coming. I'm not going to – I'm trying to not get hurt. Pitbull never makes that deal with himself. He never makes the, okay, I'll stop fighting if you stop hurting me. He never makes that deal. He always wants to win. He's mentally one of the strongest fighters I've ever seen. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're fighting his spirit. You're fighting his, you know, his, that, that chip on his shoulder, that, that cockiness, that, you know, like everything he puts out there, he's got to back it up. And you know what? I'd say 95% of the time he's backed it up. And, uh, and like I said, the white fight, that was the fight that really made me go, man, this guy is never going to be out of a fight. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was over and then boom, boom. And then, you know, white was on his back getting pounded out. Crowd's going crazy. It's, it was just unbelievable to me. So, you know, that's, that's the thing about this fight. You know, it's, you know, I, I think they're going to flee each other out in the first round kind of, you know, but I think in the second round, it's going to be fireworks and they're going to get it on. Uh, I have a question for you. Eric Abasarian said Pitbull said he'd like to go down to 135 and try to be a three-weight champion. As historic as that would be, is that something as a promoter you would entertain, a guy being the champ at three different weight classes? Number one, it's the health. He's a big 45-er. The dude is incredibly strong. Uh, going down 35 might not be great for his health, but also one guy controlling three belts. Promotionally, that's kind of a nightmare. Is that something you would entertain if you wanted to go there? Well, I think that, you know, listen, with Pitbull, we'll always have a conversation, you know, sure. and he's deserved it. He has been a legend for Bellator, and, you know, he's done everything he, he said he's going to do in, in the cage. And he's honored his word on every level. And, uh, you know, he's helped build this company to where it is today. Yeah. So we'd always have a conversation with him, Jay. But having three belts and, and fighting at 135, I don't know, man. That, that, that I don't know if he can make that weight. I think Eric, Eric, I think Eric's got a better shot of making that weight than, than, than Pitbull's got making it that weight. So Have you seen I, Eric's gut? I, have you seen Eric's gut? No. No, he could <laughs> not make that. <laughs> well, those, those wrestlers, they just have a way of cutting weight like nobody's business, right? So. Uh, we'll see. No, but I mean, honestly, Jimmy, I think that, you know, having him the on the 55, which by the way, you know, no matter what happens in this fight, you know, that's going to be his next fight. He's got to figure out what he wants to do. And then right. to go from 55 down to 35. I mean, it's, it's come on. That's, I think that's a lot to ask for an yeah. athlete. So um, I, I think that we probably just stick to the two and let him, you know, defend uh, his 55er or, you know, figure something out. I mean, he did say at one point to me, look, if my brother's in line for the title shot, then I will step down and, or I consider stepping down and giving him that opportunity. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see because he, you know, the uh, brother's the number one contender now or number two contender. So, you know, that might be a conversation we have with uh, Pitbull after this fight, but you know, a lot's going to depend, depends on what happens on this fight. So, uh, uh, I think Pitbull will feel one way or another way, if depending on the outcome of, of how this thing unfolds on Saturday. Okay, it's been a while, so I feel like I can, I can ask you this question, get an honest answer. When 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 Michael Chandler knocked out Patricio Pitbull, Patricio's brother, and and Patricio got in his face and said, "I want you, you're next." And Michael Chandler did the throat cutter, and I went, "You're biting off more than you can chew." I literally thought I was like. <laughs> I don't know, dude. He just wrecked your brother, who's about a head taller than him. And when I thought, honestly, and I love Pitbull, 
right? I, I am a huge Pitbull fan. I literally thought, bro, you're asking too much. What were your thoughts? Because I know he came to you and went, I want that fight. What were your real thoughts? You put it together, and oh my God, he got the knockout win. What were your thoughts when he came to you about that fight? You know, I, I thought just like you did. Boy, this is this is a big, <laughs> another big guy. You know, like, right, dude. Really want to do this? You know, and he's like, you know, I, I'm, you know, he was so mad. You have no, uh, he had so much I have some idea. I've seen that brother. guy furious. I've seen him furious. furious. Yeah. And yeah. then he's like almost yelling at me, just saying, I want to kill him, man. You know, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, okay, just calm down. Calm down. Let's, let's have a conversation about this. But we're going to have a conversation in a week about this. So we, we, we took a beat. But, you know, I'm telling you, man, right after that fight happened, he was so fired up. He was, he was ready to fight Chandler that night. Oh, I believe be it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he said, okay, suit out, go, go for it, he would have jumped in that cage and fought Chandler that night. And you know what? I, I honestly thought too, this is this is this is not a good move. But you know what? It's listen, it had a storyline. The fans wanted to see it, started getting some good traction. We put it together, and you know what happened, and the rest is history. Scott, <clears throat> I really appreciate it. I will be watching. All right, because I do believe, honestly. Biggest fight in Bellator's history, but guys have been watching for a long time. I can't wait to see this one go down. And, and, and credit to you, honestly, as the promoter who set up the tournament to allow this to happen. Even though so many things could have messed it up, we got this fight. And, and I think that's a credit to you and a credit to Bellator, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much, and, and congratulations on everything. And, uh, you know, Jimmy, I hope to see you soon. Come to one of our events. Come check it out. I would be happy to, all right? Once again, tell Rick to stop pulling his own hair out. He doesn't have a lot left. Anyway, always great talking to you, Scott. Scott Coker, ladies and gentlemen, Bellator MMA president. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.